If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, as we uh, do our memory verses, we're up to verse 10. Um, And if you're like me, as we get to 10 verses, verses start getting confused, especially when John is as poetic and he says light as many times as he says light. I get them misplaced. And so come along with me. We'll quote together. We'll read together. But either way, we'll work through the first 10 verses of John chapter 1. If you're new, my name is Jonathan. I serve as one of the pastors here. We're studying John. And also part of that, we are memorizing the first 18 verses of John together, kind of throughout this series Um, And so John chapter 1 and verses, we're up to verse 10, like I said. And so uh, Bible's in front of you. Let's quote together John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. All right, good job, uh, team. Way to go. Woo-hoo. We're getting it. We're going through it. Hey, once again, why are we memorizing this? Because as we memorize Scripture, it helps us meditate on Scripture. And specifically, these verses we're memorizing because it helps give a faithful summary of some of the main points and emphases that John puts on his gospel. But today's text is John chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles, want to flip a couple pages over to John chapter 5. Um, I want to say thank you uh, for just the love and the encouragement that you've shown myself and my family. My mom wanted to specifically just say thank you uh, for just loving on us in the time where uh, last week my father passed away. We did the funeral this week, and your love and encouragement was just a great blessing. Uh, Thank you. I want to give a special thanks to those who preached in my absence. Over the last four weeks, three gentlemen have preached, and I want to say thank you to them. And if you notice, the last sermon we did was in John chapter 3 by Param. Um, And so why are we going to John chapter 5? We're going to John chapter 5 and skipping John chapter 4 for two reasons and one reason that's not the reason. One reason that's not the reason is not because it's not important. John chapter 4 is absolutely very important. So we're skipping it for two reasons. I know I have preached on it twice in the last two years, and Param has preached John chapter 4 once, meaning we have three sermon recordings on that text online. And because of my father's passing and the changing of schedule, we're like three weeks behind in our sermon series. Now, already a series through the Gospel of John, which was originally planning to take us right up to Christmas, and now we're already three weeks behind, I felt like it was a faithful place to still know that there are resources to equip you in John chapter 4 online from um, myself and Param, as well as give us an opportunity to to catch up a little bit, all right? So we're skipping John chapter 4. If you specifically want a direct link to John chapter 4 sermon, I will gladly uh, share that with you. Otherwise, you can find it on our website. John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 17 uh, together. 
Everybody have their Bibles. Once again, if you're with me, would you simply say amen? Amen. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. And there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, both blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to them, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to him, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who had said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is, was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on a Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. I hope you have, once again, just something to take notes on. And I want to just go ahead and give you the main point of the sermon, and then we'll begin to kind of unpack it together. The main point of today's sermon is simply this. Jesus pursues the unseen and the hopeless. Jesus pursues the unseen and the hopeless. Now, we're going to unpack the first part of this story um, but I find it always intriguing, especially as we read through parts of the gospel, not only in John, but the other gospels, where Jesus is doing healings on the Sabbath, and they get so bent out of shape with the fact that he did it on the Sabbath. Their question was, who healed you? Not in order to kind of correct Jesus, instead of just finding the amazement that he, he, of what Jesus has done. And I say that to say this at the beginning, that as we come into this story, I want us to really just kind of put ourselves, I want to do my best to kind of paint the picture fully of the context of the situation so we can try to place ourselves in the story. And I want us to not get caught up in the religious details of the story as much as just sit in the amazement of what Jesus is doing in this moment. And so here's the context. It was the Feast of the Jews in Jerusalem. One of the things that I love as we study the Gospel of John as it relates to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, four Gospels, one of the things that John gives us that the other three gospel doesn't is a really clear timeline of events. So for example, if you read John chapter 1 and 2, it gives real clear narratives and the next day and the next day and the next day. And so you know the sequence and the chronology of events. Another way that, you, a way that John does this, and this is how we know that Jesus' ministry was about three to three and a half years, somewhere in that time range, is simply because of the Gospel of John. Because the Gospel of John records Jesus in Jerusalem for the, for the Passover on those occasions 
to that we know that, hey, Passover happens once a year. We see this recorded a number of times. This is how we know that it was three years. Matthew, Mark, and Luke gives us chronology, but doesn't give us the timeline. But this gives us really clear, John gives us really clear uh, different feasts and different events to help us know when Jesus and his timeline of ministry, and this one is, it's a feast that is happening in Jerusalem. One of the things that happens with the feast in Jerusalem is a lot of guys, men specifically, do exactly what Jesus is doing. They go to Jerusalem for the feast. And so when you begin to think about um, events, uh, I think uh, you might get this, you will get this. New York, um, there's a lot of people that visit New York, but there are certain times of the year that population in New York, there's a lot of visitors. Christmas to New Year's, you just know hotels are going to be sold out. It's going to be one of those times that people come. Summer, you're going to get more visitors as well because other things are happening. School's out, and you know that there are certain seasons where the population grows to a greater amount. Well, this is one of those moments, which means that the population in Jerusalem at this time was high in hospitality and high in visitors. And one of the things that we know from the location of this event, that this was at a very specific place at this pool called Bethesda, five roof colonnades by the Sheep Gate. And we can imagine, based off the story of what this guy at least understood, of what were to happen was in this pool, that every once in a while, that there was a, um, I, I want to say myth carefully, because there's nothing in Scripture that validates this, but it does, Scripture does tell us this is what people thought happened. There's nothing in Scripture that actually says this did happen. But what they believed would happen was an angel would come and in that pool with kind of like with his finger and would stir the waters. And the first person who gets in after that is gets healed. That, that was their belief. And so imagine that on this special occasion, if you're very um, religious-minded, you would imagine that God's going to do certain things on certain moments and certain days. We see that God works in a very intentional way. For example, Leviticus 23 lays out seven feasts that were to happen on an annual basis. We understand that those feasts are very important in the New Testament timing. We understand that Jesus was crucified at the Passover. We understand the day of Pentecost was an Old Testament feast that we understand was the day the Holy Spirit came. Point being is, is that, they were very, that they understood that God had a very intentional ways in which he worked. So imagine that it's a special holiday. It's a special feast of worship. God is more likely to work in this moment. So imagine you believe that God works in these special moments and you believe the myth that God comes and an angel comes and stirs the water and the first person in gets healed. Imagine the influx of what scripture this passage says of all those who were needing healing. Verse three says, in these lay a multitude of invalids, of those that had some type of need of healing, whether it was blind, lame, and paralyzed. So imagine there's dozens, if not hundreds, around this moment, around this pool, I mean, in this moment, just waiting for this. Hopefully, you're the first person. It's the lottery of healings is the context. Now, I'm not saying this is actually what happened, because once again, Scripture never says that this would actually happen, but these people believed that is what would happen, and they were waiting there for this moment. They were waiting for this mystical healing. But then Jesus comes and has a conversation with one person. You know, when we begin to think about 
Jesus and his ability to work in a lot of people's lives. When I see texts like this and go, why, why didn't Jesus just heal everybody? I don't have the answer to that question. But I do think one of the things this text will make it clear to us is that Jesus cares about individual people. That Jesus in this moment didn't necessarily come and just go, hey, I don't know you, don't care about you, but here, be blessed. All of you fall in the pool, you'll all be healed, and we'll walk home. Like, I don't, I'm not making fun as much as to recognize that Jesus isn't necessarily that generic in this text. But in this series, we called it Encountering Jesus because Gospel of John, the writer, is very intentional to show Jesus' individual encounters with people and how he cares on an individual basis with people. And so the, the person that Jesus encounters is someone who is an invalid. He's unable to walk. So imagine if the goal is to be the first one to leap in the pool, you, 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 got, the, you got the thing that is going to make you less likely to be the first in. You don't have quick mobility. And so he's hopeless. He's sitting there. He's there hoping that maybe if whatever chance he might be the first one in, but he doesn't really believe that he's going to be the first one in. He doesn't really think that he has a chance of healing And he's someone who is unnoticed, unseen, and forgotten alone in the crowd. Can I just be honest a moment? There's been moments where I felt that way in my life. And I I think there's moments where we all feel that way. You know, I remember, I I, want to be careful here, but I do want to be honest and vulnerable because I do think God uses those moments. But I I remember in the last couple weeks, one of the emotions that I wasn't prepared to feel was honestly a little bit of anger. Not anger necessarily towards God, because God has always been faithful and good, but anger to everybody else in the world who was smiling. I just, just like, I, what are you doing? Why are you all happy? <laughs> like, don't you know what's going on in my life? Don't you know the season I'm going in? And there's this moment where I'm going, I feel like I'm in a place that all of us experience, and many of you have experienced, But up to that moment, I had never experienced. And I just felt, honestly, just alone. Even when there were people who loved on us and a family and loved on me in the last couple weeks, there's still moments of just feeling alone. And I don't know about you, but it's easy at times even to come to church. It's easy at times to be on a crowded subway train or a bus or in traffic or in the city where you always see someone around you and still feel alone. You feel unnoticed by others, and worse yet, you feel unnoticed by God. But one of the things we're going to begin to see in this story is that Jesus notices you. Truth number one, Jesus notices you. Imagine this gentleman, 38 years of feeling unnoticed, alone, and helpless. It said that he had been lame, unable to walk for 38 years. Feeling like no one cares. He's at this place and he just has no one to help him. He has no hope unnoticed in the crowd, in the sea of people, unnoticed. But yet God, I think there's a reason and that may be the reason why Jesus specifically chooses him. And I don't know about you, but maybe you feel that way. Maybe it's been 38 years. Maybe it's just been 38 days, but you feel unnoticed. Jesus notices you. What does hopelessness really feel like? I want you to think of a moment where maybe you feel hopeless. A good example of moment of me feeling hopeless is, um, I remember when um, Jenna was giving birth to both Samuel and Levi. 
and in Samuel and Levi, just being there in that moment. And there's nothing I could do to help my wife. There's nothing I could do to help that crying baby who's just now starting to breathe. I, there's a lot going on. Life is happening. Pain is happening. Exhaustion is happening. And just going, there's literally nothing I can do. Well, I, I tried to be an encouragement. And I, and I tried to, you know, do all of those things. But really this moment of going, there's nothing I can do. But there's also negative moments of, of great fear and desperation, of hopelessness and depression, the, the inability to see and believe in a future that matters, no joy or happiness, no options to turn to for help, feeling a lack of value and purpose and feeling isolated. There's a lot of hopeless feelings that we feel, but I think I want us to see as we think about how Jesus encounters us is that Jesus notices you. And I think today that Jesus wants to help you see that, that he sees you. One of the stories that always comes to mind that just imprinted in my heart as we understand the story of Hagar in the Old Testament, we, we studied this um, at fall retreats where God reveals himself to her as a God who sees her that she was out and been put out and was lowly in a situation where she had no hope and she was literally just went out to die. But Jesus, or excuse me, but God came to her and he says, I see you. Why did Jesus choose to heal one person instead of all of them? I don't know why he chose not to heal all of them, but I do know one thing we can learn from him choosing one person is that he notices this person and he notices you. But not only does Jesus notice you, Jesus, truth number two, Jesus offers Hope. Jesus offers hope. I want you to look at verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to them, Do you want to be healed? That's interesting. Do you want to be healed? Once again, remind you of the setting. The man is at a pool that he believes if he can just fall in at the right time, he will be healed. And yet Jesus comes to him and says, Do you want to be healed? It's, it's almost, in my mind, it's the same irony in the illustration of you going sick to the doctor and a doctor being like, hey, do you want me to help you? But like, why do you think I'm here? Like, of course I want you to help me. But Jesus asks a question, and I want, us, I want us to learn something from this. Jesus says, hey, man, hey, what do you want? One of the things, as I've been studying this passage that honestly has just been refreshing to my soul and has been encouraging to me is so many times I pray going, God, rightfully so, I pray, God, I want your will to be done in my life. Would you reveal your will to me? And maybe you're in a situation where you're trying to make a decision about your future or make a decision about a job or, or a career or whatever, and you're trying to make these decisions or a job about, you know, do I change to this job or do I move to this place or whatever it may be? Do I date this person? Do I not? And you're asking all these questions and your prayer rightfully so is, God, I want your will to be done in my life. But I love this in this moment is, is Jesus simply says, what do you want? What do you want? What is the deep desire of your heart? What is it that you're longing for that if you had hope and you had hope in the moment and there was hope in your heart, you would have? What is it that you want? Here's one bit in the beauty for me. And just as I think through this is so often I am, God, rightfully so, as we talk about living surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, this is one of the marks of a mature Christian is that we live surrender. God, my life is yours. I surrender my life to you. Whatever you want for my life, it is yours. 
But sometimes God just simply says, what I want for your life is for you to be fulfilled in what the deep desire of your heart that I've given you. Now, I want to be careful here. We think of Psalms 37, 4, that talks about when we give and we pray and we surrender and we give our hearts over to God, he will give us the deep desires of our heart. We've got to be careful that what that, we've got to understand that what's happening there, we first pray and surrender, and then he gives us the deep desires of our heart. I want you to notice something. If we surrender to him, the deep desires of our heart are the deep desires of his heart. Therefore, he's giving us what is on his heart. And when we walk with him and we recognize that he sees us and that he loves and cares for us, I pray that it does a work in our heart in such a way that when he says, what do you want? And if we had this feel overflow of hope and just desire, he would be able to say, I want what you want to. And here's the, the, this guy, the great desire of his heart was to be made whole again. And here's the beauty of the gospel of what Jesus does. Is Jesus comes and he comes in order to make us whole. The story of Jesus is that he became broken and he gave over his life so that you could be made whole again. That he died so that you could live. He was broken so that you could be healed. What Jesus has come to do is to give us the deep desires of our heart, is to bring healing, whether that's physical healing, whether it's emotional, spiritual healing. He's come to make us whole again. This is the story of Jesus is that when we were separated from him and broken because of our sin, because of our rebellion, that we could not be made whole, Jesus in his great love for us came to us and is stirring with the question, what do you want? And I ask you this question, what is, what is truly what you want? And whether you realize it or not, what you want is to be made whole. We look for it all the time. You know, our mission statement at New Hope is we say we want to connect people to a life satisfied in Jesus. And this is precisely what we mean. Is we recognize that as we sing in the second song, that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. God made us for him and our hearts will be empty and, and not fulfilled until they find their everything in Jesus. And so Jesus is coming. What do you want? And the guy goes, I want to be healed. I want to be made whole. So I ask you the question, what is it that's in the deep longing of your heart? What is it that you want? And I pray that as you see, that as Jesus meets you, I pray that he would meet that longing, but better yet, that, that you would meet Jesus and you would realize what you really want is Jesus. I was having a conversation with some gentlemen last night, and one of the gentlemen just said that one of the things that he's been struck by is he's continued to have conversations with people in this church and at work and the community is that everybody's got a burden that they're carrying of some sort. That everybody, it just seems like everybody's got a load on their shoulders. And I, I immediately was like, amen to that. I, f- I understand that feeling. And, and I believe that is true for us, even as a church. Guys, we've been through a lot in the last few years, both not only as a community, but as a, a global community, but also you individually. Life was already difficult pre-pandemic and pre-other things. And but all we have been through so much in the last year, and honestly, I just think many of us, I know I am, week after week, continue to come into this place just going, God, I, I honestly need you to touch me. I really need to just kind of let the load off. And, and I believe this is a text that just reminds us that Jesus is going, hey, what do you want? I'm here and desire to meet your need. But I sometimes don't think we actually believe that. I think a lot of times we believe that we're one of the other people in the crowd. Not, not the one that Jesus actually cares about. 
yeah, I believe that Jesus cares and will do a work in their life, but I just, maybe my need you think is not big enough that you think God doesn't care about, or maybe you think it's so big that you think that he can't meet. But I want you to hear today that as the simple, the main point of the sermon, Jesus pursues the unseen and the hopeless. And at times, I know that's me, and I imagine at times that's every single one of us. We feel unseen, and there's situations where we feel hopeless. What are we going to do? How are we going to move on? And my invitation to you today is the invitation that Jesus gives. What do you want? What do you want? And the truth is, is, is I, I want my heart to find a joy and satisfaction that, is, that, is, that can't even be described. And here's what I know, and here's what I believe. There's nothing in this world that has ever touched my heart the way Jesus has. There's nothing that's ever came and transformed my life and impacted my life like Jesus has. And so I base my belief in Jesus on the, the teaching and the, on the scriptures and what scriptures have revealed, but I also recognize that it has actually impacted my life. And the truth is what I want is I want to be able to lament and grieve with hope and joy. Sounds like an oxymoron. I want to lament and grieve with hope and joy. But that's where I am today. I, w- I want to be able to weep, and I also want to be able to have peace. I, I want to be able to-, to worship, and I want to be able to have joy in worship, but also grieve in that moment. I want to be able to come to him and allow him to touch my heart and to save me. And I, I, it's fascinating that Jesus touches this guy, and then he moves before the guy even figures out who did it. But Jesus cared enough to stop and touch this guy. What do you want? And he brought healing into his life. Jesus notices you and Jesus offers hope. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.